Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, good morning. How is everyone? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a little kind of rainy fall day out there, isn't it? Now, if you're online, maybe you're, you're in sunshine. Who knows where you're at, but we're glad you're with us. But it's a, it's a little cool out there. You know, I, I want to start out this message by kind of bringing us all into the same space. You see, I, I grew up a, a redhead, a ginger, a carrot top, a Cheeto head, a copperhead, a redheaded woodpecker. I've heard it all. I've heard it all. Now I'm a chrome dome. I'm a Voldemort. I'm a Charlie Brown. I'm a Mr. Clean without the earring. Come on, you've thought it before, haven't you? I, you know, I, I, some, over the years, this is kind of picture, when I had hair, this is what I looked like when I had hair, and it was a red, really bright red hair. So you know what's interesting, over the years, people have asked me, because sometimes I get teased about my low follicle count, and people ask me, does it bother me? And it doesn't bother me at all. I'm not sensitive about it. But I was sensitive with red hair as a kid, because I would often be the only ginger in my class and my school. And what is it about kids when they find one person that's not like the other, right? Something comes up. You're an easy target. So I was really sensitive about my red hair. And the more you're sensitive about something, the more you can be controlled by it. Whenever you've experienced pain in life, whenever you've felt exposed in life, uh, that creates a sensitivity and even a defensiveness in life. So there's two areas that... I, I can speak for myself, but I think I could speak for Pastor Keith and Pastor Jessica and our other pastors. There's two areas that pastors struggle to speak on, sex and money. Now, not because I'm unclear theologically about it, not because I don't understand what Scripture says about it, but I'm keenly aware that when you speak on these things, you're talking to people who have sensitivities. They've experienced pain around these areas or control, or great amounts of condemnation and guilt. So it's our heart, my heart, never to add one iota of condemnation to anyone. You know, we have a little kind of philosophy as a teaching team here. We want to, we want to be high challenge in that we never water down the truth. We'll give it to you just as Jesus would have given it. But we want to be high encouragement. Because with high challenge without high encouragement, everybody's going, everybody's just trying to make it, aren't we? We're, we're trying to make it each day, each month, each year, and some years and some weeks and some days it's harder. You might be in a great space today, but there's people around you it's not, and you're mindful of that. You're mindful of the weight that it comes. So we want to speak the truth in love in a way that frees people. So I'm imagining today, because we're going to talk about money, we got to do our money differently. So I'm imagining that you're all redheads today, a little sensitive, a little anxious, and so maybe turn to someone next to you, especially if you came with them and you say, oh, your red hair looks great today. Your ginger... Now, some of you may have colored your hair red. I have no idea. 
But I'm, I'm just going to imagine that we're all a little sensitive and anxious about money because some of us are sensitive about money because we don't have enough of it right now. We're struggling. And so it's a very acute area we're feeling right now. Some of us are sensitive about money because although we may have enough, we have known in our past what it means to have very little money. And so we live, even though we have a, maybe you have a lot even right now, but you live under a fear like it could all go at any moment, minute, right? Some of us are sensitive because when we talk about money, we did things to get our money that we now regret. We disposed of marriages or relationships along the way for career paths and pursuit of money. We disposed of friendships because they got in the way of our ambition. And so when we talk about money, there's a lot of regret. There's, there's a pain associated with regret that's there. Some of us are sensitive. You might be online right now. You're sensitive because we're at a church and it's a pastor talking about money. And he leads a charity that depends on donations. And we're like, hmm, I'm feeling a little anxious because I don't want to be manipulated into giving. Here's a promise I'll give you. We will never manipulate you to give at One Church Deal. No. Uh, that we'll never do that. We'll never ma manipulate you because I want you to not be moved by a sob story in a moment. I want you to have a plan to be a generous person with your life. So here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says it this way. A stingy planter gets a stingy crop. And he's talking about money in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. A stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. In other words, a reaping and sowing kind of mentality. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. Paul says, create some space. I want you to think about what you should give. I want you to create some space, so not in the moment, not in the pressure. He goes on to say, that will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. This is a beautiful portion of scripture. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying essentially two things. He's saying, a giver with a plan cannot be manipulated. A giver with a plan cannot be manipulated. And he's also saying, a giver who loves to give delights God's heart. So here's a couple of caveats. I want all of us to have a plan to live a generous life. I want all of us to have a plan. Instead of responding in the moment, let's have a plan about these things. They're important. It's important to be generous with our life. Uh, and we also know that, that God loves it. In another translation, it says God loves a cheerful giver. So if we're giving under compulsion or a hardship or something like that, maybe, maybe just hold on to it then. Because God loves it when we delight in being able to give. That's part of what we get to do together in a community. So sitting around you right now are lots of people who have a plan for giving. They, they already have an established plan to support the church that they love. They already do. And because they give regularly and consistently, we have incredible children's programs here, next-gen programs. It's because they give regularly and consistently. Uh, a lot of what we've done around this facility and around this church and through this church globally and, and impacting our cities because some people give regularly and consistently. Now, you don't think about this stuff, but I do all the time because I'm part of this church. But do, do you know how much it costs to run this building for one week? Pretty big building, isn't it? I don't know what it costs you to run your home, 
but it's $5,359.37 to keep the heat and lights on in this building for one week. It's a lot of money, isn't it? And, but together, collectively, we're, part, we're doing our part as a community. So one of the big, bold moves we have as a church is to blow open the doors of the church. It's, it's this idea of opening up and stewarding this facility for the benefit of the community around us. And we've been renovating our church building throughout the pandemic, fixing it, improving it for moments where we'll blow open the doors to the community. So in a moment, you're going to see Pastor Stephanie's going to take us and show us some of the renovations via video. And before that, one of our directional team leads, Jerry Sen, whose vision it was to really blow open the doors of the community. Jerry just has had such a heart to reach people in this community. We're going to start with a little update from Jerry, and it's going to move right into this a review of our, our, our facility with Pastor Stephanie. So watch the screens. Hi, church family. Four years ago, God brought me here on staff after me spending close to 20 years in the marketplace. Over the last four years, I've had the privilege of leading our church life, digital, and outreach teams. God gave me the opportunity to use my talents, time, and resources to serve One Church Co. And I have seen an amazing impact in the lives of so many people. Now, God is calling me to a new challenge with Compassion Canada as their Chief Marketing Officer. Compassion Canada is a well-respected global Christian charity that releases children from poverty in Jesus' name. Along with my wife, Olga, who works for Operation Christmas Child, it is clear that God is calling our family to show love to children around the world. The good news is that this is still my home church and you can't get rid of me yet. My family and I will continue to serve and attend this church for many years to come and I look forward to serving alongside you. I want to thank Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Keith for trusting me to lead here, for caring for me, mentoring me, and always being open to hearing new ideas on how to build a kingdom. I want to thank the directional leadership team for being such great colleagues and friends and for the love of the church. I want to thank my digital and outreach team for being the most awesome team ever, for being in the trenches with me, helping to launch amazing things in this church. And I want to thank the board, the leadership, the staff, the elders, and all of the volunteers in this church, along with the church family that has shown me love and support over my time here. I know the best days of this church are still ahead. Let's continue to be unignorably good. Love you, church. Hey One Church TO, it's Steph here, and I'm here with a quick update to let you know how your faithful giving has helped us blow open the doors to our church community. The lobby here is the first place that you step foot into, and we wanna make sure that it is a welcoming place for you. So we've installed a couple of signs to let you know that you belong here, and to remind you to be unignorably good. Not to mention, they're a great place to take a selfie for Instagram. The new youth room is a space for all age youth students. That includes junior highs, senior highs, and young adults. This room was designed to be a place of community, study, gaming, and teaching for our students and has been open since the beginning of the summer. As a church, we're always striving to connect people to the message of Jesus. 
And with online content being so significant, we wanted to make sure that we were connecting people that way as well. So we built a video studio to help streamline the process. With individual sets for our kids and youth, plus a flexible one for everything else, we can easily film and live stream to connect with people beyond the walls of our physical campus. Um, hello? Let there be light! Ah, that's better. Over the years, some of our most impactful moments have happened here in the main auditorium. We've upgraded our aging house light system to create an engaging, distraction-free environment for people to connect with God for years to come. All are welcome here at One Church TO, and we want to make sure each and every one of you has an amazing experience when you're here with us. So we're updating our main floor washrooms to be universally accessible and comply with the Accessibilities for Ontarians with Disabilities Act. Our south main lobby and gym washrooms are nearly completed, at which point we'll begin working on the north lobby. Now, when I was first looking for a church, I said, Lord, show me a sign, any sign. <laughs> what do you know? Our new One Church TO sign has been installed facing Kennedy Road, and it ensures that everybody passing by knows we're here. Now this is all great, but we're not done yet. We have future plans for the gym, the chapel, and the main auditorium. So stay connected for all of those future updates. Now none of this, and I truly mean none of this would be possible without you and your faithful giving to Christ Church and our mission to know God, love people, and impact this city. So truly One Church TO, thank you. Yeah. I want to add my thank you just to everyone who's been giving and thank you for helping us to be able to do this. I want to say thank you to everyone in the room except Jerry Sen. He preached one sermon and then he's leaving us. What's going on, Jerry? Now, Jerry, I have so much respect for your leadership and I thank you, brother. And we're so excited about your next chapter with Compassion Canada, an organization I have great respect for, what they do internationally and locally. So. Uh, Jerry, uh, you're with us for a little bit yet, and you'll be journeying with us in our church family, but we thank you as a community, don't we, friends, for all of Jerry's work over these last four years. Thank you. Okay, so back to where we're at. We're all redheads in the room. We're a little sensitive in the room. We're going to acknowledge that, but let's have a grown-up conversation on how money can, has a power to control you and how you can develop a plan to control it. Money has a power to control you, but you can develop a plan to control it. We're going to look at the words of Jesus today. And, and Jesus, did you know 11 out of the 39 parables that Jesus spoke were about money? He knows something to talk about. If you have a Bible, we're going to spend all of our time in one chapter. Mark chapter 10 is a famous encounter of, between Jesus and a, a, a young man. And it goes like this. It starts this way. As Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem... A man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, a little context here. Every good Jewish person knew what they had to do to inherit eternal life. It was very common. The rabbis in the day in their teachings and their writing, they always, all of their teaching and writing went towards answering this question. What must we do to inherit eternal life? And the answer was always the same. The answer is always the same in all of the writings. Obey the commands of God and avoid all sin. Easy, right? 
Just obey the commands of God and avoid all sin. That's what you do to inherit eternal life. So the question is, why is this man asking Jesus this question? He already knows the answer. He's, when you'll see in the rest of the story, this man is economically successful, socially successful, morally very successful, religiously successful. So he has it all together. Why is he asking this question? Anyone in life who's trying, trying or striving to accomplish their way into eternal life, even with all of their great successes and their great morality and their good records, will always have this unsettled insecurity about them, this doubt, this emptiness, that they might be missing something. And this young man's heard about Jesus and he's wondering, have I missed something? I've got my checklist. I've done all these things. Have I missed something? Well, the story continues and it goes like this. Jesus then says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked, only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments, you must not murder, must not commit adultery, must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, and you must honor your father and your mother. He goes on to say, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. He's an impressive person. What's interesting is Jesus never says, liar. Jesus takes him, says, yeah, okay. It's quite possible. You know, I've noted in life, I've been pastoring 30 years, I've noted that some people find following rules much easier than other people. Some people were, were a little more messy, and some people are a little more firstborn. Right? Any firstborns in the room? And he says, follow the rules, you know, kind of thing. I'm sure there's an exception here or there, but there's ordered people and there's a little bit more dynamic people. There's a better word than messy, right? Dynamic people. This guy's an ordered person. He's, he's honored the word. He's been impressive economically, socially, and morally. And then there's this beautiful, interesting sentence that comes after this. It says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I found that sentence puzzling a little bit. Uh, now, you might say, why? Because obviously Jesus is a loving man, but it doesn't often say this in Jesus' encounters with people. What moves him in this place? Is it because the man is impressive? Is it because of what he says? Is it because he knelt down? No, I don't think it had anything to do with this. Here's the thing when you're reading the Bible that's really important. There are micro stories and micro scriptures, and I've watched people build a theology that's really a house of cards. That if one of those stories doesn't fit their ideology, the whole house of faith comes tumbling down. Every micro story and micro scripture has to be fit in context of the larger story of scripture. That's how you understand it. So there's something larger going here that moves Jesus. See, I said there's, this is often called the parable or the story of the rich young ruler. But there are really two rich young rulers in this story. There's two of them. There's Jesus and there's this man. We, we know this, that both of them were young. Both of them were young. And in fact, this man was young. It says he's a young ruler. Jesus was probably about 31 years old when this encounter comes. That's what theologians think about that age. How many are 31 and under in this room? I have my hand up. I don't know where your hand was, but I'm proudly 31. 
ish. They were young. They were both morally good. This man, his record stands for himself. He acknowledges, but so is Jesus. Jesus is morally good. It says this of Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That, or in, sorry, in 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, different verse altogether. I'm jumping ahead. It says about Jesus that he knew no sin. No one had a greater record than Jesus morally. So he's moral. They're young, moral. They're rich. They're rich. This young man's rich. He's identified to that. He has great means, but his wealth is nothing compared to Jesus. That's where the verse should have come in in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. How rich is Jesus? Well, you don't get enough numbers for that. You don't get enough imagination for that. But they're also both powerful. This man is a ruler. He's in charge. He's, he has power to exercise, but it pales in comparison to Jesus' power. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that God has put all things under Jesus' authority, under his authority. So two rich young rulers, both rich, both young, both morally good, both, both powerful, but one is a redhead controlled by their money. One is controlled by money, and the other is not. Why is Jesus not controlled by money? Because he gave it all away. He left the riches of heaven to become poor so that we could become rich. He doesn't worry about money. He's not controlled by money. He's not controlled by greed. He's not controlled by envy. He's not controlled by selfish ambition that's attached to financial gain in this world. He's not controlled by any of those things. How powerful is the woman or man who is not controlled by money? Able to pick it up, able to put it down. Able to save it and keep it, able to give it away. Not controlled by money at all. How powerful is that person that's not controlled by the bottom line, not driven by it? And Jesus sees this rich young ruler and he feels genuine love from him because he is, he thinks he's free, but he's actually being controlled. Here's how it plays out. There is still one thing you haven't done, Jesus told him. Go, this would be tough, eh? Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. You know, I guess it would have been easy if, if you just had, you know, one thing or, you know, the clothes in your knapsack and he said, go and sell it. You'd be like, yeah, no problem. I'll do it. But the more you get in life, isn't it true? Like when you get a brand new car, that's why I drive older cars. Because, you know, brand new cars, you kind of be careful where you park those things, don't you? You know, someone dings them, you know. Um, maybe I'd be the only one in this room that would feel that temptation. But this man, Jesus says, well, go and sell everything. Go and sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. He connects this world to the next world. And then he says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Apparently, there's a connection here happening. A couple of thoughts around this, what Jesus just said. And Jesus is always doing this. And it bugs me, and it probably bugs you at times. He's always connecting with what we do here with what will be there. 
So he'll say in other portions of scripture, how we treat people here and now affects how we'll be treated there and then. Ooh, pastor, give me a chapter and verse for that. Well, if you won't forgive your brother and sister here on earth, I won't forgive you in heaven. Yeah, that's quiet, eh? No big amens on that one. (laughs) Jesus does this all the time, and he's doing it again here. He goes in the next one. How we use what God has given us here and now will impact what we receive there and then. There's a correlation. There's a correlation to how we steward what God places in our life, our intellect, our power, our energies, our health, our resources. All of those things apparently are somehow connected. It's, it's doing spiritual math that helps you here. And spiritual math is sometimes difficult to do. But Pastor Jessica did it in week one in our message. And let me do a little spiritual math for you here. A follower is greater than a believer. A disciple is greater than a Christian. Just, just look at that for a minute. Being a Christian is easy. It's a title. But when you go into the pages of the gospel, you never see, you never read about anybody becoming a Christian. Because if you know first century history, you probably already know this. Christians never called themselves Christians. Christians were called Christians by non-Christians. And for the first time, Luke identifies in, in the book of Acts in Antioch, they called this group of people Christians. And it wasn't a label like calling me a Canadian or calling me a Trontonian. It wasn't a label. It was an indication of the way they lived. It was an indication of who they followed, who they were following in life. And so we are following or are we believing? Are we Christians or are we disciples? The fact is, nowhere in the Bible does it clearly define what a Christian is. But it does say what it means to follow Jesus. To take up your cross daily and die to self. Becoming a Christian is easy. It won't cost you anything. Becoming a follower of Jesus is challenging. It will always cost you something. In an era of ease, and we love ease, Jesus bids us to come and lay down our lives. And when we come to Jesus as king, it's with everything. Here's what I like to do is, are you good at negotiator? We have one guy on staff, and thankfully he's in the right department. He's the best negotiator I ever heard. Like, he just knows how to negotiate. I'm not a great negotiator, but I certainly have tried to negotiate with my wife, Shelly, over the years. You know, if you do this, I'll do that. You know, you're trying to do one-offs, you're trying to trade or whatever it looks like. There's no negotiations when you come to Jesus. It's throw up the white flag and say, my entire life and everything is yours. That's how we come to Jesus. See, followers, it's, being a follower costs you something. Followers love their enemies. Believers believe that's a good thing. Followers do it. Followers give from their wealth. Believers think about it. Followers forgive when others have harmed them. Believers know it's a good thing to do. Followers serve one another. Believers, well, they love to be served. It's moving from being a good example to being the Jesus example. Following means that every week, every year, we're looking a little bit more like Jesus. And we do it imperfectly. 
All the perfect people left a long time ago, just us in the room. And then Jesus goes on and says, Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard. Why don't we say this together? Because you're a little quiet. Online, I know you're just popping in the chat room. I'm sure you are. But here in the room, we're a little quiet today because we're talking about money. Okay, so let's, get, let's read these yellow words out loud together. It is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What is Jesus talking about here? Those are pretty sobering words, aren't they? I mean, statistically speaking, we're all rich in this room. When you talk about the global scale of poverty, and income. This is a pretty sobering statement. What is he saying and what is he not saying? He's not saying that rich people can't get in the kingdom of God. He's not saying that wealth or riches are necessarily evil. We can accumulate them in ways that is wrong. That's another message for another time. But it's not necessarily evil. What is he saying here? Because he certainly questions this man's salvation despite his moral record. Something's going on here. And it's important we get to the end, uh, the core of it. This phrase here is the one that perplexes many people. A camel to go through the eye of a needle. And if you've been around church world for any length of time, I've heard many interpretations of this. I've heard people talk about that there was a little opening in the walls of those fortress cities in that day and age that was very difficult, not impossible, but very difficult to get a camel through that little hole and get into the city. But that's not actually what Jesus is saying. He's using really an ancient phrase, a metaphor, a colloquialism, something that's lost in our modern day because we don't use this phrase anymore. The closest phrase I could find to this one, it means it's next to impossible. That's what that phrase meant in that ancient Middle Eastern culture. The closest one we got to is you've got a snowball's chance in that word. That's, that's the closest modern phrase to what Jesus is saying. It's very difficult to get into the kingdom of God with money. Why? Because money has the power to blind us spiritually. It can blind us spiritually. And nobody with any amount of money can get in unless God directly intervenes. God directly intervenes. Look at this. It says the disciples respond. They're astounded then who in the world can be saved? Because if this rich man who is morally good and did all these great things, if he can't be saved, which of us can be? Which of us can be? Then they asked, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, say it with me. Say it louder. It's impossible. This should be one of the most freeing statements for anyone in this room. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. Stop trying to earn your way in. You're killing yourself. See, there's something that happens when you really experience the love of God in your life. I mean, really, love, not based on your performance, but based on his performance. It's no longer striving to not do things, striving to do things. There truly becomes a point where you begin to delight in not doing certain things and delight in doing certain things because it's in the context of a loving relationship instead of a transactional relationship with God. 
It's a game changer, friends. It changed me. I, and I'm, I'm so far, like Shelly would give a big amen in this room if I said, I'm so far from perfect. Amen. You're not Shelly, but you did that. Wow. <laughs> Shelly's quiet. She's not going to yell out. But, but I, I'm so far from that. But there is a game changer when I stopped trying to strive to measure up and I always fell miserably short. And I felt like this rich young ruler, always feeling like, insecurity about my relationship with God, a doubt, a fear. Maybe, maybe God doesn't, will I, will I? And all of a sudden you rest in his love and you want to step up in that. You want to be transformed by that. You want to be changed. So the disciples are saying here, who can, who can humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. Say it with me. Everything is possible with God. Jesus says that. Everything's possible with God. It's impossible without God. It's impossible without intervention. It's impossible without a miracle. It's impossible without grace. Why? Because money has power, a spiritual power to blind us, uh, us to the kingdom of God unless there's direct intervention. So money is powerful. Money's not evil in itself but it certainly is powerful. And that's why God gives us all kinds of commands in Scripture. And what I love what God does, he gives us commands, and then he gives us tools or practices to help us to keep the commands. Like, like taking your Sabbath day, you know, you're, we're commanded to rest. And what does God do? He gives us the practice of a Sabbath day so that our bodies can disconnect from the rhythm of all the work that we do the other six days of the week. So we can reset and we can recenter on Jesus. It change, it's a game changer when you practice a Sabbath day. Well, he gives us a practice here in Scripture too, and a command. I love this command in Hebrews. He says this, don't love money. I think we should say that out loud. Don't love money. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you, and I will never abandon you. And what, what, what the writer in Hebrews is saying is, we, we have a tendency to put all our trust in this. That if I've got money and I've got a bank account and I've got savings and I've got an RSP and I've got this, uh, I'm okay. I feel secure. And he said, well, blah, blah, blah. you feel secure, but you're not secure. All that could go in a moment. Well, how can money save you if you're physically ill? Uh, m- many times it can't. Money is not the God that we put it up to be in westernized Christianity. It is not. And money's not evil. He said, don't, but don't fall in love with it. Always know I'm your provider. Trust me. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Money, well, money comes and goes. Jesus is free from the love of money, free from worrying about it. For him, money's just money. Money's just money. It's a tool that's used. That's all it is. It's not more than and it's not less than. Money is just money. So one of the tools that God gives us in, in, you'll find it in the Old Testament, you'll see it affirmed in the New Testament, is this concept of tithing. And it's meant to push back against greed, push, push back against materialism. And the idea is simply this, that God owns everything. Everything I have, God owns. It's all his. Everything's his. And we learn to trust God over trusting our stuff. And this is a little practice that we have. You can, and there's many places where Jesus actually talks about it or affirms people doing this. Uh, but a tithe is literally, because it's kind of a, a word that's not used in common culture, a tithe just means 10%. 
It's a principle connected to giving in Scripture. You can see it over and over. It's something that all of our members practice at this church. We all, we all tithe. All of our staff do at this church. I was thinking about this year. I was counting up because a few weeks ago, I shared a little illustration. My first job, I was seven years old when I had my first job. I was delivering papers. I told you the story. I'd sit down at the dinner table with my mom, and I'd be trying to figure out the math around how do I, because you have to give money to the paper company. It was the Telegraph Journal, it was called. I had to give them their money, but I got to keep some of this. This was amazing. And my mom would sit down, and she'd help me figure out the finances, and I remember her, she had a little pal over here. She said, this is what you get to spend. It was good. Like, I was making big money back then, guys. Big money. It was cost you a dollar a week to have the paper delivered seven days a week. So dude, think of the money I was raking in. And, and then there was a pile that was God's. And she says, so, okay, there's a dollar, Jonathan. Put a dime over here. That's, that goes to God. And then there was a, a dime she would put in my savings pile. She goes, no, you're going to put this away. No, when I think back now, what was I saving up for with a dime at a time? <laughs> it was going to be a long time before I got anything I wanted, but, but all I was focused on was the 80% that I did get kind of thing. Well, the idea behind this is that, that you, know, the, you know, we're not funded by a government or a denomination or anything like that. It's, it's the faithfulness of people sitting around you or watching online right now that practices principle in their, in their life. So what does it practically look like? So I did this a few years ago here at this church. Some of you were here, some of you weren't. But a long time ago, I was talking to a pastor. His name was Ron, Rob Ketterling. I had seen him do this visual illustration for tithing, and I thought, I'd love to repeat that. I'd love to use that. And so I asked him, and he said, sure, go ahead and use it. So the idea is found in Proverbs. Proverbs says this, Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Your barns will burst your wine vats will brim over. So the idea was, if you want to practice this in your life, do it first, not after. So the idea is that there's first fruits in each of our life. And this is, this is God's table. And he says, this belongs to me, not you. But, but the 90% on this, this, this belongs to you. You can use this. So we got watermelons, we got bananas, oh, we got apples. What's, uh, how many uh, watermelon your favorite fruit? It's got to be, it's in my top three easily. But they're hard to pick, aren't they? I've knocked, I've banged on those things so many different ways. I've had every Italian grandmother that's been in the grocery store because they're always banging like this and I'm saying, what are you listening for? Because I cannot figure it out. And just when I do, I think I've messed it up. So, so there's a tenth. The 1% or 10% goes to Jesus or to God, and 90% we get to live off of. That's the idea behind this principle that we get to run. So, you know, these are papayas. I don't know if uh, anyone like papaya. I, can, maybe I should give, oh, I can't give this away. This is God's, right? This is not mine to give. This is, this is my table over here. There's papayas, there's honeydew melons, there's watermelons, there's apples, there's bananas. What's coming next, guys? Just, oh, pineapples. Pineapples are coming next. Pineapples, have you ever, I saw a thing online where you turn them upside down, actually, to ripen properly, and you put them on the counter like this. Anyone seen that? I think it was a TikTok thing or something like that. You learn so much useless information online. It's, it's, I'm never going to do it. I'm not, it's not going to happen here. But, but, I, but I did learn that you're supposed to do that. <laughs> and, and you begin to see that God is the provider of all things in life. This is the principle. God, everything you have in your life right now, 
God's given. You're going to be tempted to say, no, I earned that. Who gave you the energy to earn it? Who gave you the talent and ability to earn it? Who gave you the health and strength to get what you have in life? God does. So we acknowledge everything belongs to God. And then God gives us a principle to push back against greed and materialism and the power of money to control our lives. Because money controls our lives. Money controls our lives. You can tell. Follow your fears to know what controls you most in life. If we have a fear for money, a loss of money, whatever it is, it's in control. It has the steering wheel then. And this pushes back against it. It's this idea that I will put God first, he'll take care of me, and when I find myself in places of need, I can go to him boldly because I've always put God first. Anyone know what this is? Oh, I knew this congregation would know what this thing is. But this is heavy. This is a jackfruit. Anyone like jackfruit? Oh, nice. We got to do a little raffle at the end of this. Maybe somebody needs to get a jackfruit to go. This is massive, isn't it? Now, one of the things you probably didn't know, did you know a pumpkin is actually a fruit? I didn't know that. I Googled it. I Googled, what are some of the largest fruits in the world? So I came up with a jackfruit. There was breadfruit. There was a bunch of them. And it said pumpkin. I said, pumpkin's a, I didn't know it was a fruit. I know it's great pie, though. Great pie. Our, actually, our kids' ministry is going to get this, and our food bank is going to get all this this week. We're going we're to give it away to the food bank. Yeah, it's... I, you know, I've eaten jackfruit. I've never once opened one by myself. It looks complicated. Anyone have a, um, what is it called, durian? I, I bought one of those once and I brought it home. And Shelly made me open it up in the garage. And when I opened it up, I realized completely why she was right. And I ate it and everybody said, oh, it tastes so good. It just smells like garbage. I've never been able to separate my smell buds from my taste buds, though. So as I smelt this and ate the garbage, I just thought, why do people love this so much? But I know some of you love durian, love it. And it's supposed to be delicious, but it's so not. I'm just saying, it's really not. So here's the thing. Sometimes in life, our table doesn't look like this, though. So let's talk reality. Sometimes in life, we don't have a bountiful table, and we find ourselves deeply in need. And I don't want you to feel condemnation around giving, depending on where you're at in life. Sometimes we have trouble with this table because we have an income problem. Sometimes it's because we have a spending problem. One of the things that keeps the greed and materialism at bay for Shelley and I and that spending problem is putting God first. And we just, when we get, I, I was thinking since my dad, mom taught me that when I was seven years old, I've been, I've been for 45 years tithing. That's not a credit or anything like that. It's just something that early got taught to me. So it was, became very natural. Put God first, put God first. And sometimes this table has been very sparse for Shell and I. Years of church planning, many times, very little on this table. And we tried to put God first. And you know what it did give me? Confidence. No matter what was on this table, I was confident I could go to God and ask. My prayers were often very simple because when you're in need, 
they're not very eloquent all the time. We just, Jesus, I've tried to honor you by putting you first. You know we can't pay our rent this month. And, you know, I don't, I don't share the, the stories because I'm, I'm hesitant. I'll be honest. I'm very hesitant to share the stories where God has just come through for us. Hey, honey? Powerful, miraculous ways, ways that could only be God. But, but I would never want us to give to get something. That's not my motivation around this. It's to honor God and trust that he will never abandon us. He'll never forsake us. He'll always see us through. My job has never been my provider. God is my provider. So regardless of whether I'm in work, out of work, or between work, God is always the consistent provider in my life. And he chooses to use companies or different places or churches or anything to help us with income. But, but, but God is the one that provides us with it. And so the idea is simply this, that we may have a sparse table. And listen, if you're struggling financially, I'd love you to email our, our team at finance at one church deal. We want to run another finance course here just to help you get your financial house in order. If that be helpful, email them and just say, identify yourself and just say, listen, when you run that class next, I'd love to be at it because I need some help with it. Yeah, I grew up in a businessman's home. My dad was a businessman his whole life. And you know how much he taught me about managing money? Just the tithe. <laughs> that was it. I knew nothing about the rest. I knew nothing about, I, I laughed when I, when I moved from Halifax to Toronto here way back in my 20s. I remember Pastor Keith sitting and he hired me. And I remember him saying, listen, uh, you'll, you'll have to sell your home. And I said, well, we were living in government housing at the time. So I said, there's no, there's no home to sell. And I remember him saying, well, do you have RSPs? And I didn't know what they were. I, didn't, I had no idea about re registered retirement savings. But I had no idea about any of those things. We were, Shelly and I were ill-equipped to handle. We just knew to be afraid of money, afraid that it was always going to go away from us <laughs> and not enough was going to come in or, or something like that. And, and so sometimes we need to educate ourselves. So I'd encourage you to take our financial course. And then the second thing I'd encourage you to do is make a plan. Make a plan. One of the keys is, is start somewhere. Start somewhere. Andy Stanley said this. Uh, he said, every Jesus follower in your church has a plan for how they plan to support the church that they love. Not every believer, I know, but every Jesus follower has a, some sort of plan. Whatever that plan looks like, they have some sort of plan in supporting the church that they love. So here's my challenge to you guys. Whether you're online, I'm looking at you right now, or in this room. If you've never given, give something. Just practice it. It's the one part in scripture where God says, test me, test me, give, give, and see if I don't give back to you and take care of you. Test me in this, try me in this, and I'll supply for your needs. And so I'd encourage you, give, try it, test it. For some of you who do give regularly, what I'm going to encourage you to do is consider automating your giving. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Shelly and I, uh, again, I'm just, I'm letting you in on a little bit of our lives. We're more feeling givers and emotional givers. Like if we feel moved in the moment, we're going to give. If we don't feel very moved in the moment, we're going to forget about it. And, and that's why it's important for us to automate. We automate our giving because otherwise we would not have the discipline to maybe do it because we're not moved all the time in every moment. But we know how important it is. 
So for everyone who automates their giving, and I encourage you, if you don't know how to do it, you can email finance at onechurch.to or Ziad Alabuni, our operations team lead, will be in the Next Steps Lounge if you have questions about that. But I don't encourage you to prioritize it. I know this, though, fellow redheads in the room. I know this. In a moment, our band's going to sing. Matt and, and Rob are going to come and give you some next steps out of this. All I know is that there are some times in life, I'm 52 years old now, and I look over my shoulder, and I bought a lot of stuff that I couldn't even tell you where it is now. It mattered so much in the moment, and it matters nothing to me now. Very little. You ever get that place in your apartment or your home, and you just got so much stuff, and you just keep thinking, like, how do I get rid of this stuff? And then you put it on Kijiji, and nobody wants to even buy it. That's always disheartening, especially when it's something I thought was great, and I'm getting these offers. It's like a leather jacket. You know, I, I paid this for it. And someone says, I'll give you 20 bucks. I'm just like, 20 bucks? <laughs> I'll keep it. And I never wear it, you know. So you end up giving it away, whatever it looks like. All I know is uh, I have no regret over what I gave in this life. I know the older I get, the less I'll regret that. Because it lives on beyond me. It lives on through my kids. It lives on to the people I've blessed in my life. It lives on through the effect of this church and what it's able to do globally. So it's a privilege to be able to give. It's an honor to be able to give. And so I would encourage you to step into a new place of faith in this next season and trust the Lord with what he's given you. And I want to encourage you above everything, just honor God. Whether you're given to great charities like Compassion Canada or you're taking care of family overseas or whatever you're doing, being open-handed and generous in your life, God keeps great books, friends, great books in life. And if you're young in this place and you're saying, listen, I make, I make 10, 15 bucks an hour. I don't know, what is minimum wage right now in Ontario? I don't know what it is, but it should be higher, whatever it is. <laughs> whatever you're working at, start early. It becomes more easy, more natural, and as God blesses you with more, it's less has a hold and a grip on your life. You control it because you have a plan for money. Otherwise, it will control you because it does have a plan for you. So, Get in the control seat. Ask, invite Jesus in that space to guide you and direct you. I want to do this in closing. I'm going to pray, but uh, I thought maybe what I'd do is uh, have you pray a benediction with me. And since I talked about redheads a lot today, I thought about this great Celtic benediction that I've read many times over the years in my own prayer life, and, and, my, and I, I thought often of it. I thought, what if we as a community, because Celtics, there's tons of redheads in the Celtic people. So I figure like we're all honorary Celtics in this moment, right? We're all redheads in this moment. Let's say this benediction aloud and together, and then Matt and Skip, or Matt and Rob are going to come and give us some next steps. Here's our benediction today. Let's say it out loud. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun war shine warm upon your face and rains fall soft on your fields. Until we meet again, May God hold you in the palm of his hand. Love you, One Church Steel. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live.
We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing, both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time. Thank you.